in an ever-changing world, how do you prepare for the future? At the Department of Science and Innovation, the investments we made yesterday provide the solutions of today and tomorrow. For 24 years, we have had invested in a new generation of scientists and researchers, built new scientific research facilities and produced new knowledge. We are helping move our country forward through innovations that will make mining safer, improve agricultural practices and create energy security through investments in new solutions like hydrogen energy technology. The DSI is possible. And we proceed with in conversation in this week world economic report. We look at the following public sector wage bill negotiations reach deadlock government interdicted from paying out any business from the tourism equity fund and oil prices have fallen more than 1% as COVID-19 surge in India dense world demand. Online for comment is Sicha Researcher, Department of Political Science at the University of Pretoria, Dr. Jason Musioka. You can also find him on Twitter at Jason Musioka. Dr. Musioka, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much, Ibrahim, and hello to the listeners. Thank you. Now let's uh, begin with uh, the public sector wage bill negotiations, which uh, reached a deadlock. The minister there, in fact, is appealing to the public to help him sort out this uh, crisis. Indeed. Thanks, uh, Ibrahim. So this has been a protracted uh, battle between the government, the unions, and of course public servants who are represented by uh, public uh, sector unions. That, uh, this, has, this goes way back to 2018, and as we know, in, in 2020, the government, the minister's medium-term budget speech, um, that's the minister of finance, he announced the freezing of wage increases that were agreed upon in 2018. What that meant was that public sector uh, workers or public servants were not going to receive uh, wage increases in 2020. That kicked a lot of dust, plus musings of reforms, and the reforms have largely been gravitating around uh, public wages. As we know, over a third of government expenditure currently goes towards public wages, which is really high in an economy that is in our level of development. But that has been a battle. It's been a collision cause between the government and the unions in particular, so what has now happened is that they, the, the, the discussions of wage increases or not had not collapsed until at least last week. Um, on Friday, there was a discussion uh, on, on whether um, you know, the, the, the government was willing to do their CPI plus 4%. That would be 7% increase of public wages, uh, which is the norm annually. And the government pushed back. They stood by their grounds and suggested that there is no money. They are not going to provide any increases. So I think that then, as we know, the unions are suggesting now that they are going to declare dispute. And that is the fastest step towards a massive strike, which they have promised there will be industrial action. But what they need to do, Ibrahim, first is to, despair, to, de to declare the dispute in the bargaining council. After that happens, they will a certificate for industrial action, and then they will still have to put it on a ballot, put the uh, proposed action or industrial action on a ballot for their workers, and then they will go ahead and, and uh, implement the industrial action. So it seems that we are committed to that at the moment. Um, but frankly, from an analytical point of view, 
the government really doesn't have money, as we all know. So this is a chicken and egg situation. What do you do with it? What do you do with a situation such as this? It's a complex matter. The government is in a rock and a hard place, and public um, servants will also claim that they've been hit by COVID-19 for a whole range of uh, reasons. And therefore, they need increase of wages. It's a very difficult situation. So uh, how do you think this will affect uh, the African National Congress going into these local government elections as well as the, the, the ANC's elective council? Because we, we see that uh, COSATU always puts much weight on whoever is becoming the, the, the president of the African National Congress. But, but looking at the policies that the, the, the government took uh, for the past uh, two to three years, it has been more on, on, on cutting the wage bill as well as freezing the, 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 the unions. Uh, how do you think this will, will, will affect them politically? What I see happening, uh, Ibrahim, is that firstly the unions have expressed discontent with the current administration, and not least because of this particular issue, not willing to negotiate, and and they have made a claim that uh, they will mobilize, or some of them will mobilize their uh, members not to vote for the ANC. This is not anything new. We know that you know it's always been, it always comes up during elections. And at some point, it did raise the question of whether the ANC is actually um, or should continue being within the alliance. That's a question that has been lingering. And not least in this season of elections, we expect that to come up. Not that said, though, what we do know about the ANC is because it's highly divided. And given the factions that exist now, there is a possibility that the radical economic transformation faction is going to um, try and legitimize this, this kind of deadlock and, and push for uh, popularity using this scenario. So that's one likely scenario that is likely to happen. But that said, keep in mind that whatever happens, the unions, even if they withdraw their members or they motivate their members or mobilize them not to go to vote, the opposition, unfortunately, is still very fragmented. So whatever happens, I don't see this hurting the ANC in any significant way, not least because of the fact that the opposition is not in a position to mop up the unions or to gain support from the unions as they would have if they were more organized and not as fragmented as, as they are. Nevertheless, I think the point needs to be made that it's a difficult situation for the administration because the government needs all the support at the moment um, and the administration needs all the support. So if we don't have a lot of, um, you know, or, or the, 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 the traditional constituency of the ANC voting, that talks to the um, questioning of the legitimacy of the administration, and that is problematic. Um, it might lead to even more factions, in my view. Now let's move to the second one. The government has been interdicted from paying out any businesses from the Tourism Equity Fund. Solidarity and Afri Forum have gone to the courts, but uh, the department is saying uh, there's no transformation in the industry, in the tourism industry. So that's, the, in terms of the fact, the, the tourism industry is really untransformed. That's a fact. The problem we are facing, and I did raise that point a couple of uh, months ago, was that we are dealing not just with the historical legacies of apartheid in terms of lack of transformation, but we are also dealing with the impact of COVID-19. Now, keep in mind the, 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 um, 
the tourism equity fund was was set up sometimes earlier in the year and the objective although the objective was to enhance transformation but it really was set up to try and mitigate the pressures or the impact of COVID-19. The only challenge, and again, the case put forward by Afri Forum and, um, and Tourism Union of Solidarity is that there the, are the, 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 a lot of tourism businesses, including white businesses, that have closed. This is not the time to, to start pushing forward affirmative action um, especially not in view of COVID-19. That's the argument made. So we will see what happens. I mean, the case, uh, the, 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 the court has halted any further applications of this fund already by all the, anybody who would like to apply to, for the fund now, uh, you know, the, government, the court has decided or at least uh, directed that there should not be any further applications until judgment is made. So that's where we are at at the moment. And uh, the last one, oil prices have fallen more than 1% as COVID surge in India, which is denting the world demand there. When you look at what's happening currently in India in terms of uh, COVID, um, last week uh, Biden, the president of the U.S., actually uh, was making a, um, a pledge that uh, India and South Africa must be, must, must, must be given a waiver in terms of them manufacturing their, their their own drugs what do you think this will mean for for for, for the oil prices because th- th- there's definitely a dent because india is uh, one of the biggest uh, buyers of oil in the world indeed so india is actually the third largest importer of oil and there's a, there's a caveat again to that of which there are two major countries that are now facing a serious hikes of uh, covid 19 infections so it's india and Japan, which happens to be the fourth largest importer of oil also globally. Both economies, what this means, and as we've seen in the last year, and in the last two years, really, well, sorry, in the last year, 12 months, it's that the more COVID-19, the more lockdowns are implemented, the more the demand for oil and a lot else falls. And this is the case with the third largest and the fourth largest importer of oil. The more they are locked down, the more they are not able to import, not just because of the restrictions, but because there is not much economic activity happening when the economies are locked down. That is linked with the fact that OPEC Plus, which is OPEC in Russia, they are meeting on Wednesday. As we know, they surprised all of us when they decided to continue with uh, oversupply or overproduction or the continued production of uh, oil, even though economies, global economy had not fully recovered. And on Wednesday, they are meeting up, and the indications are that they are going to continue with the increasing production. So if we are producing more oil than we really need, and on the other side, there is decreasing demand in the third and the fourth largest importers of oil, we are certainly going to see significant price decrease, um, at least in the near future, until these two major giants recover from, from the pandemic. Do you think this gives Africa? I'm just looking from the context of uh, because I see that grain and uh, especially that is and wheat and, and soybeans actually is almost in demand uh, after following this uh, the, the, the fall in, uh, in in oil prices. Could this be Africa's uh, time to to begin more investment in uh, in agricultural production? It could be. There are, there is oil that is produced from soy, um, processing. So there is, um, 
there is that possibility, but I think that is conditional to just how African governments forge forward and how they identify that opportunity. Historically, though, as we know, African governments, uh, most of them are still embroiled in uh, political showdowns, and unfortunately there is not much thinking about these opportunities. We also have to keep in mind that India, and uh, because we already have vaccines being rolled out, we don't expect India and Japan, among other global economies, to continue, or large economies, to really have lockdowns for the long haul. I think once they start reaching their hard immunity, we will begin to see them, those economies recovering. But the point you are making is important that if governments in Africa are strategic enough and respond quickly, this is an opportunity to create a supply market uh, from soybeans and so forth and so on. But um, that is an open question given the history of political leadership in our continent. And uh, that concludes uh, today's World Economic Report, of course, with Dr. Jason Msoka, Senior Researcher, Department of Political Science at the University of Pretoria. You can also find him at Jason on Twitter, at Jason Musoka, and also on, in fact, he does uh, li- writes opinions in the daily, that's a uh, Times Life. You can also get his opinion uh, research there. Dr. Musoka, like always, thanks very much for speaking to us. Thank you so much, uh, Ibrahim. In conversation on the voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM.